Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. mention poor Derek. In fact, he'll be completely forgotten again, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. If I sound at least a little bit out of breath on this particular morning, A lot's going on, and man, you know what? After you have a four- or five-month pandemic shutdown and there's no sports, no nothing going on, you're just not in a position to complain about an abundance of sports news. That's just how it is. Penguins trade Patrick Hornquist. Pirates have their season finale at PNC Park. And, of course, the Steelers are back in action Sunday at 1.02 p.m. against the Texans at Heinz Field. I'll be getting to those other two topics later in the show, starting with the football. Let's have a fullback. You know, one of the many great mysteries of the Randy Feetner era, if such a thing can exist, And the way he's run the Steelers' offense has been that he, in concert with Ben Roethlisberger, and remember that you never know where one begins and the other ends. I mean, that's the way this whole thing was designed. Feetner, of course, having been Ben's longtime quarterbacks coach, those two, of course, having bonded in a lot of different ways over the years, undoubtedly not least of which was How do we work around this Haley guy? And then once Haley was finally disposed of, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that Ben's influence over the offense, including the actual play calling, was going to grow. And it absolutely has, not just in no-huddle situations, but in all situations. And that's, that's okay. That's not even what I'm here to discuss. What it bothers me about the Steelers' offense to date is that in situations where they have clearly needed to run or they've clearly been handed the run by an opponent that can't handle the run, they've still gone out there and passed. And not only that, but they've gone out there and done it in extremely predictable pass formations. And I, I get it. Ben doesn't like to work under center. He prefers shotgun. That's fine. Again, all of this 
does have to work around Ben. But when you're in game settings that very much mandate the run, and then two, you have a running back, a bell cow running back, and for that matter, a bell, bell cow backup Snell cow. I was trying to find something to play on that with, and it didn't quite work. Uh, all right, I'll do this in regular non-bell cow language. When you have James Conner and Benny Snell as your two main running backs, you have two guys that prefer to run between the tackles and to run hard. Power runners, if you will. So you already have two reasons to use a fullback. I'll give you a third one. When they signed Derek Watt, they did so at a considerable price of $3.25 million a year. Now, you can get cynical about it and say, well, the real reason they signed Derek Watt was to appease TJ, and hopefully they'll be able to sign TJ to a long-term lifetime contract or whatever it is, in part because his brother is here. Not something that I really accept, by the way. Then you're really wondering what's going on because Derek Watt hardly ever sees the field aside from special teams. Now, he's really, really good on special teams, but you can be the world's greatest special teams player and still not be pulling in $3.25 million a year. So the question came up yesterday with Randy Feetner in his weekly session. Uh, it's uh, Coordinator Thursday, as we call it over there. And here's what he had to say on the subject of getting Derek Watt more involved. I think as we're still finding our footing in, in um, uh, with with this group of uh, 2020 Steelers, uh, minus uh, the offseason, um, I really believe that uh, you'll see uh, more Derek. I think that uh, he's warranted it. Um, and, you know, um, one of the things uh, that to be able to do is always be able to back certain things up. You know, you, you know, if you're playing with two tight ends and they happen to be playing in a two, you know, a two tight end uh, sets and then the single, uh, you know, uh, uh, one receiver type sets, they're playing off a lot of football too. So you got to balance the act. Uh, Derek's more than capable of playing in uh, a lot of different ways. And, uh, and so I'm excited moving forward there. Um, again, uh, when he's been in the ball game, he's, he has done his job and been very successful and and we're excited about that i mean hey i hope so um not that i want to see franco rocky in a cloud of dust um, this isn't about regressing the offense it's not about denying that uh, passing is going to be the heart of pretty much any effective nfl offense but especially one that's built on a franchise quarterback and doubly so when that franchise quarterback looks pretty good. Most of the Steelers' weapons are at the wide receiver slash tight end positions, and of course, at quarterback. However, however, there were times in the past where Randy Feetner himself would rely on Rosie Nix as many as 10 or 15 times a game. That happened. Rosie, you might remember these. It was just last season. Rosie would get really involved. We all wonder why he didn't before that, but then all of a sudden Rosie would get involved. Had to be the right situation, they'd say. Had to be the right setting. Well, when you're looking at last week's game against Denver and 
you're seeing how they're aligned to try to shut down the pass. When you're seeing how they're dropping people back, and then you're seeing on top of that that Connor and then to a much lesser extent Snell are able to get some kind of yards, but then you get to the second half and the Steelers have this big lead and they're still putting four wideouts up there and they're taking three seconds off the clock with each play if it's an incompletion, now you're into stupid territory. Now it makes absolutely no sense, regardless of your roster makeup, regardless of how much you paid your fullback in free agency. But lo and behold, the Steelers get that turnover at the end on the Terrell Edmonds blitz. And who comes onto the field? It's Derek Watt, everybody. Derek Watt throws a massive block, the kind that he's known for, the kind that he's always been known for, that blows open a hole for James Conner. Conner ends up with 59 yards. Any other running back in the NFL takes that thing to the house. Conner was actually two yards beyond everybody else at one point and still had absolutely no chance. But... Point is, they they got the play that they needed because they went with the formation that they needed and they went with the position that they needed. I don't know what sort of religious type objection the Steelers have to occasionally just sending the fullback onto the field. If you're engaging in all these Matt Canada-designed misdirections and everything else. There is no misdirection in football that is more powerful than your choice of personnel that you send onto the field. That right away is what gets everybody thinking, and ideally, you're fooling them a little bit. So stop fooling yourselves. Get the fullback onto the field. Simple, simple. Wouldn't it be funny if after Sunday's game, instead of JJ and TJ, we're actually talking about Derek White? That's not going to happen. I'm just saying it for dramatic effects. When we come back, hockey. And welcome back. The Penguins took about 24 to 36 hours, depending on your perspective, to complete the Patrick Hornquist trade, but that did get done. It was official. Sent to the Florida Panthers for defenseman Mike Matheson for third line, fourth line forward Colton Sevier. It's an unusual trade. It's one that can be dissected a lot of different ways, whether it's from the team need standpoint, whether it's from the salary cap standpoint. The Penguins actually take on $775,000 of additional salary. So the whole idea that Hornquist was being moved to save money ended up getting blown up. Where does Matheson fit on the blue line? Who might save your bump from the third line, the fourth line? Lots of different ways to look at it from the Pittsburgh perspective. I'm not going to do that here. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, who this week, in a major announcement, 
let everyone know about the Grow, Share, Thrive program that they've instituted. The idea is to expand what the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank can offer to people in need, to expand their facilities in Duquesne City. To expand, ideally, your contributions. If you go to growsharethrive.org and you do it soon, if you make a $10 contribution, there's a benefactor that will automatically attach $5 to yours. And if you know how the food bank works, $1, incredibly enough, provides enough food for up to five meals. That's a true thing. We've donated, uh, my wife and I. And they actually show you the receipt and how many meals and how it worked. So you don't have to wonder if there's any accountability. Go right now to growsharethrive.org to find out more. Rather than looking at the Hornquist trade from the perspective of, you know, how it'll affect all the various moving parts and machinations of the coming NHL season, I, I, I just can't do that. Like, not right off the bat. Not when a player like this is, is gone. Uh, Patrick Hornquist is an unusual, bordering on unique individual. Unique is a word I'm always careful about using. In the, in the French, it means literally what it sounds like. It's just one. Maybe there is just one Patrick Hornquist. Maybe there is. The Penguins will miss what he brings. He is a, a presence of fearlessness on the ice. He sets a bar of fearlessness on the ice. So when you are on the bench or even out on the rink with him and he's doing all those things, there's no excuse for you not to do the same. But there's more that he offers on the rink than just that and just even his goals. Something that not a lot of people talk about, and to be honest with you, I haven't done a whole lot of writing about it, even in the time that he's been here, that's really, really cool about Hornquist and the impact that he has on the ice. When he goes to the front of the net and he takes his beating. If you're out there with him, and this goes double for defensemen at the point when they have the puck. If he's there and he's getting cross-checked and hacked in the neck and slashed across the calf and whacked on the ankles and kicked from behind, and you aren't getting the puck to the net, you will hear it. I have heard this story countless times from the Penguins defensemen. Chris Letang laughs about it. He's like, you have no choice but to get to the puck to the net because you know you're going to hear about it if you don't because he's not doing all that for nothing. This Pittsburgh team is already one that doesn't do enough of that sort of thing. I mean, especially on the power play. 
And I don't even just mean the power play when it was going the way it was in the playoffs, which was a disaster. Even when it's going semi-decently, they're guilty of way too much east-west, way too much trying to uh, break the penalty-killing box laterally instead of just grip it and rip it. Without Hornquist, I'm here to tell you that will not improve. That specific facet will take a step backward. Now, we can focus all we want on Hornquist and his speed, uh, the decline that he's shown in that regard. I mean, he was never the fastest player to begin with, but for whatever reason, it seems to have stood out. Maybe it's our imagination over the last year or two. Maybe we didn't care what his speed was back in 2016 or 2017. But the presence that was in front of the net that he offered changed the very culture of Penguins hockey. They hadn't had a guy like this, really, since Kevin Stevens in the early 90s. I mean, there would be the occasional guy that would show up, and there's other players who, when they won in 2009, who were pretty decent in front of the net, Jordan Stahl, whoever, but not that guy, not that one that the other team was always talking about. you got to get him out of there. And he would take so much focus away from the star players in that regard because everybody just wanted to kill him. And he was willing to be killed for that to happen. That won't be replaced. I am here to tell you that will not be replaced. You can put Jake Gensel at or near the front of the net, but you're risking getting him hurt, and he's not going to do it in the same way, nor should he. He's going to be a guy that's going to be more of a... He'll look for his tips and so forth, but he's not going to be getting in the goalie's kitchen. That is a loss. Might be a gain to the forecheck, might be a gain to the possession game. It will not be a gain when it comes to these other things that I've mentioned. And then there's another thing. Mike Sullivan would speak as glowingly about Patrick Hornquist as any athlete I've ever heard him speak of, shy of Sidney Crosby. His respect for Hornquist is through any roof you can find of any structure. One night after a game, this was a couple years ago, Sullivan and I were talking away from the press conference setting about Hornquist. And he said something to me that stuck more than anything that I've heard him say publicly. And it was this, plain and simple. He felt that Patrick Hornquist was elite at his position. That was Sullivan's term, elite. And he said, no, don't, don't get me wrong when I say that. I'm not misusing the term. I'm describing the type of player that Patrick Hornquist is, what he does. He's the best at it. There's nobody better in the National Hockey League at it than Hornquist. That's how he was a slam dunk, lockdown, 20 goals or more for the longest time. Tough to replace. 
Sullivan would also say, not just in this conversation I'm describing now, but all the time, about the noise that Hornquist would make on the bench. He was always the noisiest player, always the one uh, keeping everybody engaged and alert and aware of what it is that they're supposed to be doing in a given situation. Or sometimes, to hear Sullivan and other people describe it, he would say things that nobody understood. And I'm not talking about Swedish. He would just say ridiculous things that nobody knew what the heck he was talking about. But you knew he was there. And you also knew when he was hurt when he wasn't there. Jim Rutherford handled both the press release of the trade and his session with reporters yesterday elegantly, I thought, in this regard. Uh, There's a temptation almost always when you make a trade to just focus on the guys who are arriving. Rutherford didn't allow that to happen. Uh, In the press release, he started with something about Hornquist. And this was his response when Hornquist came up in the call. Uh, There's no question. We will miss his leadership, and we will miss him. Okay, he he is one of the very top character players in in our league, is is his leadership. And that's why Florida wanted him. You know, they... They've made some changes there, and, and they, they want to change their culture, similar to what I talked about when I first came to Pittsburgh. So so we'll miss them. But when you miss a player like that, um, other players have to fill in the gap. You have to mature. Players have to mature. And hopefully there's players that have learned from Patrick and learned some of the things that he does so well to help other other players. So, uh, But without question, we'll miss his leadership. Yeah, I can't put it better than that. I can't. This isn't just about the big goal that Hornquist scored in 2017 in Nashville. Um, this isn't about winning the James Neal trade. This isn't even about the culture that he changed in Pittsburgh with his arrival. It's about how much he'll be missed next season, even at age 33. It's something to think about. Don't just look at this trade from the standpoint of who the two new guys are. In order to assess this fairly, you have to consider everything that's heading out in the other direction. That's not an easy pill to swallow. It just isn't. When we come back, some baseball. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org. Hey there, welcome back. I promised baseball. I'm actually not going to give you baseball. Uh, Not actual baseball in any way. I was at PNC Park yesterday for the Pirates home finale. Uh, 7 to nothing win over the Cubs. Really, really nice game uh, for the home team, to say the least. Chad Cool, seven scoreless innings. Jeff Hartlieb and the flamethrowing kid Blake Cedarland with a perfect inning each of relief. Four home runs for the first time all season 
by the Pirates. Colin Moran, Adam Frazier, Brian Reynolds, Josh Bell, all going deep. A lot of things went right. Brian Hayes with another beauty out in the field, going way into foul territory and then throwing across his body. Really, really good stuff. Lots of good stuff on the field. And then the game ended. And going back to my childhood, and this goes back to Three River Stadium, I always would get so sad over the Pirates' last home game. I'm not like that with any other sport. Maybe because it goes back to childhood. I always get so sad. It's the end of baseball season. I don't watch baseball playoffs. I don't watch any baseball that doesn't involve Pittsburgh. I just never have. So this was not just the end of the Pirates' season. This was the end of baseball. And when it ended at home, then it felt really real because I would... I'd go to way more games than I didn't, but especially the the closer. That was always the big one for me, way more so than the opener because of the emotions involved. I'm kind of weird like that, right? I just get like super sappy about things. But this, leaving the stadium, leaving PNC Park, this was different. This was different. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp cases, medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. And this law firm has been doing that, keeping promises, for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. And you can learn more about them online at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Tell my man Larry Kelly that we sent you if you give him a call. Oh, and you want the number again, so here it is. It's 888-842-5454. Before I get to how it felt leaving the place, I feel obligated to thank the people of the Pirates for a first-class operation at PNC Park under this extraordinary circumstance. And to let you know what I mean when I say that, I'll give you some detail. You just look at the stadium and you think, oh, there's just there's no people there. This is easy. There's no work for them to do. As you walk in, as I walk in, uh, through the right field gate, and everything, they try to do as much outdoors as possible in order to keep things safe. You don't want people inside. Outside is always better, they tell you. The right field gate has someone distributing a credential, uh, and they give you a little Santa wipe as you do it. Then you work your way around to a little tent where they take your temperature. You've probably seen these things by now. Uh, aim it at your forehead, and somebody says, 97.4, you're all good, and they ask you a handful of questions. Uh, Somebody checks your bag, you head toward the elevator, there's nobody there. Like, you're the only one, which is right off the bat, like, if this is new to you, this really kind of weirds you out. Because you're getting close to game time of a Major League Baseball game, and there's literally nobody there. Sanitizers everywhere. Everywhere. And not the kind where you have to 
push the plastic thing and wonder who pushed it in front of you, but the kind where you just put your hand under it and it just automatically and you have this like whole handful, palmful of sanitizer. Make your way across the main concourse where the photographers are working, all socially distanced and everything else. There's a fenced-off area on the main concourse behind home plate where the visiting team, in this case the Cubs yesterday, train. Uh, All of their heavy equipment that they usually keep in a gym downstairs in an indoor area at PNC Park is brought outdoors so that the other team, when they come to town, is kept that much safer. This stuff, I don't know how it gets moved. I mean, never mind how all of this got moved. It, it There's a ton of it. Everything's spread out. Uh, tables, chairs, everything is socially distanced. And I don't know that any of this ever even shows up on TV, but while the game is going on, The members of the visiting team, again, in this case the Cubs, will actually come back up the steps and they'll ride a bike up there. Um, They'll find ways to stay sharp, especially the bench guys who might get called on late in the game to pinch hit. They don't go back to the clubhouse. Why? Because the Pirates have set it up in a way to keep it safe. Then you head up to the press box. The press box is still basically the press box. We're spread out. We're all required to wear masks. That applies everywhere in the stadium. There's also a little food area. Um, Think of it as just one of those random vending stops that you would normally make at a stadium. Just one in the entire stadium that's open. There are a couple of people, and they're cooking. They're not, it's not just like they're just passing out Cheez-Its, you know. They're cooking for us. Now, they can't be making many meals because there aren't many of us in there. And none of this goes to the players or the coaches or managers or anybody involved with the teams. They're kept completely separate from us. Obviously, that's as close as you come to a Major League Baseball bubble. Those people and people like Brian Warecki, Terry Rogers. And closer to the team, Jim Terdinich and Dan Hart were absolutely outstanding. The manager, Derek Shelton, was outstanding in his dealings with us, especially through this rotten year where you would think just a time or two he would have kind of lost it or been snippy or sarcastic or something with us. Never happened. A total pro from beginning to end. The same goes for the players. It's not the same situation. The clubhouse wasn't open, but when they came on the Zoom calls, they didn't treat it like a tooth pull. When Jim Terninich asked them to partake in these calls, whether it was home or the road, I mean, I'm sure there were one or two who were like, come on, man, not now. But they showed up, and when they did, more often than not, they tried to make it personal, even if it took them a little bit to figure out which one of us was who through the mask as they're looking at the video monitor. They did the best they could. They did better than anyone else anywhere else that I've been so far, and most of those were pretty good too. The Pirates were absolutely first class about this. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. 
And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that walking out of that place yesterday was the strangest closing day ever. Because on one hand, I thought to myself, I'll miss this place for a few months. I I always do. I'll miss baseball for a few months. I always do. But above all, I'll never, ever forget it. I'll never, ever forget any aspect of this. I'll never look at certain parts of this ballpark, this magnificent ballpark, the same way. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that I'll remember where those tents were outside behind the dugouts. Um, I'll remember the exercise area that I just mentioned to you for the visiting players out on the concourse. I'll remember all the tape and the sanitizer and everything else. I'm not saying this is all going to go away in 2021 but there's a chance and that was what was on my mind i hope it does i'll remember absolutely everything about the place it's been a crazy crazy year but nobody's gotten through it better in the sports context than major league baseball no bubble no fleeing to another country No pretending that they had to keep reporters away. None of that stuff. They were total pros about it. That includes your Pittsburgh Baseball Club. Thanks so much for listening to this. 